Are our cars spying on us at 21 minutes to nine? Not mine. Uh, Age offers protection, I think. There's been a study by the Mozilla Foundation, the tech group that runs the Firefox web browser. The car brands looked at were on the road in the United States, not New Zealand. The headline given this report on Gizmodo, the tech and science website, is if you've got a new car, it's a data privacy nightmare. Other media have published similarly. We're going to check this out with David Linklater, the deputy editor of Driven Car Guide at NZME. David's also edited the NZ Car magazine and has written for a number of motoring publications. Kia ora, David. Hello, how are you? Good. I'm quoting, your car is a spy. Every major car brand's new internet-connected models flunked privacy and security tests. Your car is a data harvesting machine that may collect personal information as sensitive as your race, weight, immigration, status and sexual activity. Volkswagen's cars reportedly know if you're fastening your seatbelt and how hard you hit the brakes. Is this all true, do you think, David, and should we be worried? Um, the sexual activity thing sounds interesting, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Um, it's, true, it's true that modern, many modern cars are connected. That's just part of, of cars in modern life. Um, cars, and not absolutely all new cars, but they, but they will be over time, um, have a SIM card in them just like your phone. So that SIM card can send information to the company that makes the car about what it's doing and where it's going and, you know, what, whether the engine is performing as it should and whether it's due for a service and what have you. And um, as we all know, with a modern car, we connect our phone to that car. So as soon as you connect an electronic device that's internet-enabled to another device that's internet-enabled, you're opening a doorway to all of your personal data. Um, it's, it's really no different than going on social media and letting Facebook know what you're up to. I suppose that's true. Yes, and of course online they also sell your data. The question is whether, and it's hard to tell, whether all the car companies, the big ones, are doing this. The car companies that have um, what we call live cars or internet-enabled cars or or SIM-enabled cars or whatever you want to call them, they're absolutely um, harvesting data. Um, the car companies, I can't speak for the car companies, but I'm sure they would argue that it's all for the betterment of future cars and they're just learning about how people use their cars and what their cars are good at and not good at. Um, but the reality is they're harvesting data. They know a lot about you because, of course, when you, with live cars, um, what a lot of this technology enables you to do is then have a connection to your car via an app on your phone. And I'm not just talking about, you know, premium cars. I'm talking about the likes of, you know, the, the humble Ford Ranger Ute, which is New Zealand's biggest selling car. That's got a SIM card in it and a, and a phone app. So as soon as you sign into that phone app and connect to the car, it's all, you know, as we know, the Internet's all just one big web of, of magical things with data going everywhere. <laughs> it's a very nice description of it. We are a, a, a nation still of second-hand car owners, I think, more so than most, maybe, David. So many of us are yet to encounter these privacy nightmares on wheels, to quote the woman running this project, which is called Privacy Not Included. Does New Zealand does New Zealand also have new cars that use this variety of data harvesting tools mentioned, including microphones, cameras, and, as you say, the phones that we connect to the cars? Absolutely. Um, a lot of cars have, um, I mean, cars have cameras on the outside, 
we all know that because we use them for parking and what have you. Those cameras can also look around the car. Um, rather famously, Tesla has a, a sentry mode. Um, if the car is interfered with while it's parked, the cameras start and they film whatever's going on outside. Um, but lots of cars have cameras inside too. They'll keep an eye on your um, on your facial expression. They can tell if you're looking away. So if you're not paying attention, there's a lot of cars that will give you a little reminder, a little electronic tap on the shoulder to say, hey, keep your eyes on the road. You're you're looking at the view um, across the across the Harbour Bridge. So this is just a reality, you know, um, a lot of cars, are, are, that's quite a high-end kind of technology, but a lot of really mainstream cars are live and internet-abled, and yes, of course they're harvesting data, why else would you have an internet connection? Yeah, well, according to Mozilla, the Nissan privacy policy, because we're getting to privacy now, suggests collection of sexual activity, health diagnosis data, genetic data, and Nissan reserves the right to share and sell your Preferences, characteristics, psychological trends, predispositions, behaviour, attitudes, intelligence, abilities, all of that to data brokers, to law enforcement as well, and to other third parties. You know, is there a good reason why, I know you say everything's, you know, everything's internet-based now, but is there a good reason why cars should be? It's part of the future of motoring. And with the privacy laws, um, I'm guessing that that particular issue is maybe a US issue. I'm sure that when you, well, I know that when you buy a new car, you will um, sign a privacy agreement when you sign into, um, you know, an an app or an internet enabled um, function on your car. And you'll okay whatever the privacy policy is. So um, I guess the advice would be to read that very carefully, just like I know that when we um, all upgrade our phone operating systems, we always read that 20 pages that they send us. We read every single word so carefully before we go accept. <laughs> so it's the same thing. I mean, that, that privacy, the privacy policies will be very clearly um, stipulated in all the agreements. So it is, I mean, it is, a, it is a worry. It's a scary thought, isn't it, that your car is keeping an eye on you. Yeah, it is, isn't it? David Linklater is with us, the deputy editor of Driven Car Guide at NZME. But the thing is, though, that you're paying for your car, and then they're increasing profits, some of these companies, by selling personal information. And that is actually different from our not paying for the internet, so the tech giants can then justify being intrusive in order to make the internet better, etc. I mean, they aren't suggesting, are they, David, that cars are cheaper because they can do this? They sure aren't. They're more expensive and getting more expensive by the day. I guess the argument would be, and I'm not not terribly comfortable in being in the position where I'm arguing for the car industry, but their point of view would be that is an opportunity cost because they're also giving you um, a lot of extra functionality. Like, for example, with a live car, if I was away on holiday in Australia and my car was parked at the airport here in New Zealand, with with my phone app, I could check whether the car was locked. I could uh, put the windows up if I'd left one down. I could check whether I had petrol in it to drive home. I could start it up if I wanted to. I don't know why you'd want to, but <laughs> you can do that sort of thing. So it's all it's all part of the brave new world. Yeah, okay, and that's not a bad riposte. I'm relying on the reporter chair, but Subaru or Subaru allegedly says that being a passenger, by being a passenger in a car of theirs, you're considered a user who's given the company consent to harvest information about you. So, you know, if you're giving a group group of young people a lift home from football practice with your own child in the car, then ideally as the driver, you're going to have to, (laughs) you should explain the whole privacy policy to them in case they get their phones out. (laughs) Yes, it's a, it's a legal minefield, isn't it? Because um, 
cars are well beyond just being cars now. They are they are devices. I mean, even car companies don't talk about their products as cars anymore. They talk about them as mobility devices. Um, having said that, I, I don't know what access to um, a passenger's private data a car company would have from just merely being in the car. No. Um, you would have to have some sort of connection to it, surely. Yeah, you'd think so. Maybe that was a bad example, but you know they <laughs> they did met they did mention passengers. Yes, there was the famous instance where. Uh, Tesla workers shared footage of naked customers, apparently, or and could also see inside Elon Musk's garage using the cameras from the cars at, at some point. It was claimed employees could witness scenes of intimacy. Um, as you say, how, I don't know. But anyway, and also locate Tesla owners, know where they lived, potentially. And, David, my question is this. I know there's a world of difference you know, if between passing naughty stuff around at work and something more sinister happening, I know what you don't know as a car owner can't hurt you regarding being spied on if it's an- anonymized. But that's the word that worries us, isn't it? It's only a small jump into a future world where all of it may not be anonymized and can possibly actually affect you quite a bit. Yeah, for sure. And um, I mean, the technology is there um, and it it is quite easy. If people are going to misuse it, as you know, the people at um, at Tesla did, it's not difficult. The car's got cameras. It's got a sentry mode. The car can look around, you know, outside where it is. The car is live. It's connected to servers at Tesla HQ. So, of course, they can fire up those cameras and, and look at whatever. So it is, you know, it is, it's a sobering thought, really. And, um, it's all, it all comes down to that privacy policy uh, um, again. And, you know, people people at Tesla obviously misused that. But it's not difficult to do. I mean, um, lots of cars have that functionality. BMWs, for example, have 360-degree cameras. They're also live, and there's an app. And if your car's parked, you can fire up the cameras and have a look around and make sure that it's safe and there's nobody lurking. Or, you know, you can if you're accidentally signed into the car from... As a motoring journalist, I've had test cars where I've been signed in and forgotten to sign out and I've been able to see the car when it's gone off to somebody else so I can see their driveway (laughs) I can see their garage I didn't I didn't look of course but I mean it's possible it's not that hard but as you say a lot of the tech is useful I mean the new initiative from Subaru eyesight assistance for drivers to stop you hitting pedestrians and people on bicycles and so on so a lot of it's welcome for sure a lot of it um, the argument for a lot of it is safety based and and that driver attention kind of functionality is a good example of that it's, it's for the it's for the greater good to keep people safe and um, to make sure that drivers are paying attention on the other hand can you see a future where you'll be stopped from overtaking if overtaking requires you to speed up to 115 k's an hour that sort of scenario in future absolutely there's already um particularly in the eu there's um very strong political will to to control the speed and the um and the use of cars some car makers have already agreed on a capped kind of top speed i think um, volvo was one maker who said that none of none of its cars would now be able to exceed 160 kilometers an hour which sounds fast to us but of course a lot of um of auto routes and things in in europe are 130 kilometers an hour so yeah for sure i think um this type of technology does give um authorities um the ability to to exercise a lot more control about how we use our cars as well a lot of people will be tempted to try and nurse their old cars (laughs) along for as long (laughs) as long as possible won't they yeah, for sure, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's um, uh, there's an argument that one of the greenest things you could do is just keep the car you've got, and for as long as it'll it'll do the job. A couple more things. 
Can you also see a future, seeing as we apparently can get our horsepower, I mean, a lot of people know more about this than I do, can get our horsepower increased over the internet and every winter you can ask BMW or whatever to activate seat warmers for a few months. Yeah. Can, you, can you see a future where we shan't own cars at all? We'll just be renting them more or less. Yeah, for sure. So um, this actually leads us on to, if I could sidebar a little bit, um, there's an acronym that's been, it's globally accepted among the car industry, and it's CASE, C-A-S-E, and that describes the future of motoring. It's connected, autonomous, shared, and electrified. So we've talked a bit about connected. Um, shared is a huge part of that. Yeah, the, the sort of the phasing out of car ownership is very much a reality. It's it's happening overseas. Um, New Zealanders are historically um, very, very keen on owning cars and very, very slow to sort of pick up new trends, including leasing. But, you know, this is a this is a global movement that's happening for sure. There's already lots of car share schemes operating in New Zealand, of course, but it's still a it's a fairly small industry at the moment, but it'll get a lot bigger. And last thing, speaking of sharing, one more question for you reported on Slashdot from a piece in the San Francisco Chronicle. And long story short, ride-sharing was supposed to reduce taxi numbers by 40%, this is in the US, and make the air cleaner. Instead, an MIT study has found that Uber and the other companies have generated far more traffic and 69% more carbon dioxide than the trips they displaced. Because the travel's so cheap, people are coaxed away from trains and buses, the roads are more clogged, robo-taxis are nearly upon us, and they'll make the problem even worse. That's US data. Do you suppose a version of that is happening here as well? It is, and I think we're in a transitional phase. We've got the whole concept of ride-sharing with Uber has been very enthusiastically embraced, of course, because it's great, it's convenient, and it can be quite cheap. But I guess I would say there's a difference between ride-sharing and robo-taxis. So robo-taxis, um, by which I, I guess we mean, you know, completely autonomous kind of transport pods, like a taxi that will take you wherever you want to go and there's no driver, they will be part of this brave new case future, connected, autonomous, shared, electrified. And part of that connected, the extension of connected technology that we have already is that cars, there's car to X communication, there's car to car communication. So cars will talk to each other. Cars will talk to infrastructure. They'll talk to traffic lights. They'll talk to parking buildings. They'll talk to whatever. And the dream is that that'll eliminate congestion because eventually, uh, you know, maybe in a hundred years when we're all long gone, um, <laughs> Cars, cars will all know where they're going and where the congestion is and avoid it, and there'll be no more traffic jams. And that'll be a real plus, but in the meantime, you probably subscribe <laughs> in the to meantime. <laughs> yeah, In the meantime. <laughs> in the meantime, we have to suffer through it. <laughs> well, I was wondering why, because people are saying that Auckland's traffic is still actually getting more clogged, and I wondered if the ride-sharing was becoming a part of that, judging by what MIT was saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have any data to support it, but um, um, empirical evidence would suggest, yeah, for sure. I mean, the streets are just full of Ubers, and understandably so. It's a, it's a great way to get around. Yeah, and well, in one way it is, and of course, depending on your point of view, in another way it's not, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're used to paying for parking in the inner city, then Ubers are a fantastic way to get around, because <laughs> you're eliminating that cost straight away. Gee, it's a brave new world of cars, isn't it? And as the, I mean, I've got to say that, and I, you know, I'm, my job is to be exposed to all this stuff every day. But I'm still blown away by the technology in cars. It's just, it's just incredible, and um, it's good and bad. You know, there's a lot of opportunity cost, but the advances are just staggering. Good to talk with you. Thank you very much for your time as well today, David. Thank you.